This is episode number 241, all about mindset with myself and the consummate athlete. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. Thanks so much for listening today, and today's episode is a little bit different than previous episodes. It is myself as a guest on The Consummate Athlete, and I thought I would republish this one on my podcast because it was a popular one for them, and it also had some really good messages. We covered some really near and dear topics that are really applicable to anybody. Things like using your intrinsic motivation to set process-oriented goals, reverse engineering positivity and optimism, the framework around resilience and being mentally tough, how to be more confident and how to stop beating yourself up. This was a sneak preview to my Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy that some of you have enrolled in and taken the course. And I just wanna say thanks for the feedback. I wanted to share a testimonial with you from an auto racer and bike racer named Ira Laffey. He said, Sonia has an incredibly relatable way of delivering real, relevant, and usable information through the Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy that has helped me with my training and preparation for single track six. I find myself referring back to the videos and workbook on a regular basis and applying the principles of growth mindset, positive self-talk, grit, and goal setting in my training and in my daily life. I also find that mantras rolling through my head on a regular basis is really powerful. So thank you, Ira. And if you want to check out the Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy, go to sonyalooney.com and you'll see Mindset Academy or go to moxieandgrit.com and find Mindset Academy. I think that you'll find this really applicable to everything that you're doing in life. And our mind is like our body. We need to train it. That's the difference between a good and a great performer. And you'll also find testimonials there from Reggie Miller, NBA Hall of Famer, and Catherine Pendrell, bronze medal at the last Olympics. And another element of high performance is knowing what you're putting in your body and how it affects the output. And Inside Tracker is a great partner of this podcast. And if you haven't heard of them, they are innovative, scientific, and evolving. And they take blood work and they look at a bunch of different biometrics so that you can optimize what you're eating so that you can sleep better, you can have better performance, you can have better longevity, and it is custom tailored to you using their algorithm. A lot of us feel like we don't have control over certain aspects of our performance or even of our health. But having access to your own data so you can look at things like metabolism and weight control and all the associate, all the associated biomarkers with those, bone and muscle health, electrolytes and fluid balance, cognition, inflammation, and so much more. So if you want to check it out, go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia and you'll get 25% off everything that they have. And that is a really good discount and a really hard one to find. And I'm so thankful that they are extending such a generous discount. Go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia. And I'd love to hear about what insights you've found and what types of recommendations resonated with you if you do an Inside Tracker test. I have one scheduled for next week and I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you to those of you supporting my work on Patreon and PayPal. It really makes a huge difference. It contributes to paying my audio engineer, Roma, who does a fantastic and professional job and has been with this podcast since episode one. So thank you, Roma, and thank you to everybody who is helping contribute. If you like written form, I also have a weekly newsletter at sonyalooney.com newsletter. And the topic is always something about motivation and mindset. 
I go through a thought of the week. I tell you what book I'm reading. I have a question for you to ponder. And I also tell you about the podcast for the week. So get that at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. It's something that I put a lot of thought into and I send out every Monday. All right. So here is myself and Molly Herford with Molly as the interviewer and me as the guest. Anya, welcome back to the podcast. I think you're officially our most common recurring guest, which I'm very excited about. Well, I feel very honored that I get to be that. And our podcast that just came out, the consummate about your book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, has done really well and people have really enjoyed that. Yay! That's awesome. That was such a fun one to do. It's always great just like getting to chat with you about all things. Um, but I feel like you and I are so on the same level with all of this mindset stuff. And you obviously have this awesome new e-course out, the Mindset Academy. So before we get into what that is, I actually wanted to kind of ask what made you decide to to focus on mindset instead of, I mean, you have so many things you could have done an e-course on, right? Like mountain bike, veganism, like vegan nutrition, being a new mom. You have so many like topics you're passionate about. Why mindset? That's a really great question. And that's a question I've actually been asking myself for years is there's so many things that I love talking about and lots of areas that I have a lot of knowledge about. Like, do I need to be more focused in just one area? And that was some advice that a few different really successful entrepreneurs said to me was you're doing so many different things and you need to be able to let some things not go, but really get more focused in certain areas. And I wasn't really sure what area that was because I love talking about nutrition. I love talking about mindset. I love talking about all things sports science and mountain biking. Lots of things that people listening to this podcast also love. But it was a question that kept coming up for for many, many years. And I used to give talks like starting in 2010. And the intent with these talks, they'd be like at REI or bike shops or whatever, and they were free. And I wanted to just be a guide and a coach and a mentor for people. So it was sort of an open stage where people could just come and ask whatever they wanted. And initially, it was more about mountain biking. And I was sort of guiding it in that way. Because if no one asked a question, because oftentimes people are afraid to raise their hand and ask a question in a big room. I just had some slides ready talking about things like tire pressure, or how to set up your suspension, or just how to make your ride more fun. And over the years, as I started doing these races around the world, like I made it my mission since 2010 to go find the hardest mountain bike races, uh, stage races and things like that. And the most far off corners of the planet. And the question started to change. The questions weren't, Oh, how do you, you know, how do you do your tire or how do I pick a bike? It became, how are you so positive all the time? And it wasn't apparent to me how obvious that positivity was. And there is some interesting research about positivity or happiness, I guess 50% of your personality is actually genetic. So 50% is what you're actually born with. And the book that came from is this woman named, her name is also Sonia, or it might be Sonia. And I'm going to butcher her last name, but it's like Lubranowski. She's a positive psychologist. But the other 50% is something that you can train. And that's called neuroplasticity, being able to rewire your brain. So People would just ask me these questions like, how are you How are you getting through these things? How do you not quit? Obviously, you're not having fun the whole time. And I started asking myself, well, how am I doing that? Because I'm just doing it. And then I started reverse engineering positive psychology, sports psychology, and then realizing what I was doing. And then I wanted to learn more. And I realized I'm just barely like 
implementing some of these skills because now I have the opportunity to go deeper and figure out what it is that makes you resilient, what it is that makes you positive. And understanding that those things aren't about just like denying difficult emotions, but it's about being able to push forward in spite of them. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I mean, you've had so many great guests on your podcast, the Sonia Looney Show, talking about a lot of this stuff. So I feel like similar to, to us with all of the experts we've had on the Consummate Athlete podcast, you've kind of gotten to to get this great education. And like every time you talk to someone, you get like five more research, uh, you know, resources and studies and all of these things. So, I mean, you've been going down the rabbit hole of mindset for the last, I mean, long time at this point. I mean, launching an e-course is a big deal. This is a big e-course. I mean, I think it's 22 videos and workbook and worksheets and all that fun stuff. Why launch it now? And like, what did the process, how long did it take to put together? (laughs) Well, actually, I was a bit frustrated with how long it took me to put it together. It took me like seven months and I'd done the research over many, many, many years. So I already had all that information available, but it was being able to make time for it because many people that follow me know, like I have a baby, I have an 11 month old at home. And with the pandemic, we were supposed to have like really regular childcare and that didn't happen. So I got to take some of my mental skills and put them to work as a parent (laughs) and be okay, you know, not accomplishing at the rate that I wanted to accomplish at. And I know many people listening know what this feels like. Like they, they train so hard for a race and then they can't go and accomplish that finish line. Or, you know, they just can't, maybe they're just like depressed and they just don't have the energy to put into the work that they were doing. So the relationship that you have with the rate of accomplishment is something that I've really been thinking about because personally, one of my demons is I feel like I'm more lovable if I'm accomplishing more. And I know that it's not true on paper, but I just had to like wrestle with that a little bit more and, and just reminding myself that if I accomplish more, I'm not going to feel any different. And that's something I wrote down yesterday is what would change for me if I accomplished everything I ever dreamed of accomplishing? And the answer is nothing. And I can say that honestly, because right now in my career as a cyclist, I've accomplished way more than I ever imagined. And it feels good to accomplish things, but it it really doesn't change anything because there's always another mountain. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's like that whole study about like, there's that tipping point of, you know, when you make enough money to sustain your life and you can kind of get through after that, your happiness doesn't necessarily increase exponentially with money. And same thing with, I think, productivity. So I thought this is actually, I'm glad you said this because one of the questions I had for you is, um, I was on the Canadian cycling podcast a couple months ago and the host on there, I was like, so a lot of the stuff, you're like technically a sports writer, like you're talking about endurance sport, but so much of what you end up writing and talking about is personal productivity. And he's like, why is that? And I was like, because I don't think you can talk about athletic productivity or athletic progress without kind of bringing in time management and like life productivity and stuff like that. So I want to ask you the same question. <laughs> like, you know, we're technically both sports people, but like most of our work ends up being more in this like overall productivity and mindset space. So are they connected? What's the deal? (laughs) Yeah. And I I realized I also forgot to answer the other part of your question is why launch this now? And I think now is a really great time to really like look inside yourself because a lot of us have been through a lot of change and our lives have, everyone's lives have changed dramatically. And like change is hard. 
But change is also such an incredible opportunity to emerge as a better and brighter version of ourselves. And we do that by looking inside and saying, okay, like, what are a couple of the dials I can tweak here? So that's why I decided to launch it now. And now going back to your next question about the productivity, productivity, we're both Americans in Canada. We're getting confused. Is it productivity or productivity? I don't even know. Productivity anymore. sounds so like sophisticated. So mm-hmm. I'll say productivity. Mm-hmm. And, and you said this exactly the same thing when you came on my podcast was like, we're not just robots in a vacuum where we're just like training and measuring our heart rate. And, and like, there's a whole human being attached to the athlete identity. And there's just so much more that goes into being an athlete than doing your reps with your body. Mm-hmm. And you need to do the reps with your mind, but you also have to be able to plan your life. Oftentimes, if you're an athlete, your family supports you to be an athlete. It's, it's time away or with your partner. It's time away or with your kids. There's often financial things involved. There's taking time away from work. So knowing how you want to manage your time and being intentional with that time management is a really difficult thing, but a really important thing. Yeah. And I mean, you just, you can't kind of separate those athletic goals from the rest of your life. Like we only have so much like time, but also so much energy, motivation, whatever you want to call it. So while you're getting your e-course done, I'm sure that changes what you're capable of doing from like a training perspective. Yeah. And even if you have, like before I had my son, like I had a lot more time to train And this was something that I learned from working with a sports psychologist, Dr. Kristen Kime. I learned, I told her like, I'm really good at time management. And she said, yeah, but it's not time management, it's energy management. And the energy that it takes to be a mom or take on a new project at work, or maybe you're just like stressed out right now because life's hard, that affects your training. And you, you might not like be thinking about that. And some coaches actually don't take this into consideration as well. And there's actually quite a bit of research out there about mental fatigue and how that affects your perception of effort while you're exercising. So if your brain is tired from doing X, Y, Z, and, and you might not even realize your brain is tired, but if you can, you know, look back at all the things you did through the day and realize that this is a lot of mental inputs that actually makes the workout feel harder. So the research shows that like, maybe, maybe you're only at 150 Watts, but maybe that 150 Watts feels really hard today. And that could be because your mind is tired. So taking that time for mental rest is something that is so key and something that is so hard. Like how many of us on our rest day, like I'm so guilty of this too. It's like, Oh, Mondays are my rest day. So, okay, I'm going to work extra hours, Mm -hmm. but now you're not giving yourself rest and you might not be able to go as hard in your next workout because your brain is tired from all the work and you never gave yourself that time. Yes, totally. Um, And I think actually, like, if anything, like this year has kind of made that even crazier because now most of us are working from home. So like your lines of like work and training and life are completely blurred. So I know for us, like it's been such a struggle to be like, okay, it's the weekend. We're going to actually turn the computers off occasionally. (laughs) Um, and yeah, like, even though we're still like training full time, you can't also work full time and recover and do all of the things at the same time. So on the note of energy, let's talk motivation in the course. You're talking all about the two different types of motivation, intrinsic and extrinsic. Can you kind of just give us a little, little explainer on those two? Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of us want to have intrinsic motivation, which is the drive that comes from within. And a lot of us have both, like you, you have both types of of motivation. So extrinsic motivation is you're motivated by 
getting something. You're motivated by getting recognition. You're motivated by winning some money or, you know, you're motivated by just maybe like what I've said, I feel like I'm more lovable if I achieve something. And that's all that that's intrinsic, but also it's extrinsic because I'm getting something. Mm-hmm. An intrinsic motivation is different because it's the key to mastery. You're doing it for the sake of enjoying the process of doing it. And like I said, both are involved. Like it's never just one or the other, but understanding like why you're doing something is going to help you stay, help you keep your goals more sustainable. Because if you're focusing on things that are on the outcome, and we like in your book, you talk about goal setting. If you have outcome-based goals, that often is tied up with also extrinsic motivation because, well, if I can just get this thing, then, then I'm good. And then you just stop. And I think that that's what happens a lot of times when people are like, well, I'm going to run a marathon. Yes, and they like yes. train for this marathon. <laughs> and then they just like never run again because they're not, they're, they're focusing on this extrinsic thing. When really they should be focusing, they can focus on both. Like the extrinsic part can help you get out of bed some mornings and help you stay in it. But if you can be focused on the person that you're trying to become and the goal of mastering, and you're never going to actually master a task, but the journey of trying to master a task. Because oftentimes, like the more you learn, the more you realize you have so much more to learn. And I think that if you think you've mastered a task, that's like the opposite of mastery because it really does take time and learning. And it's just always, you're always going to be climbing the mountain to all these different fall summits. So being able to understand the reason why, and it's it's difficult sometimes to be focused on that process because it's hard and it's it's often not that measurable. Like something like a technical skill or your running form or your running time, like those things can be measurable, but getting better is not a linear process. And it's often difficult to actually see on paper because making small gains is often something that's hard to see. Yes. And I'm so glad you said that about the the process goals, because I actually struggle with that often when I'm trying to give an example of a process goal, because it's it's actually really hard to to give a good example of one, because anytime you make one up, you're always like, oh, wait, nope, that has an outcome. Yep. Yep. Nope. Accidentally turned that one into an outcome goal again. <laughs> or at least maybe that's that's just my personal problem. Is like it's really hard to have a more almost emotion based goal, if that makes sense. Where you're like, I want to feel good about yeah. how I did in this training session today, and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to feel good. I want to hit this number. Come on. <laughs> yeah, and I I think that it's okay to have both. Like mm-hmm. you have to have some outcome in mind, but having a process-based goal. So like, we'll go back to marathon running because that's a really easy example. I want to run a marathon. I want to finish a marathon. That's a very outcome-focused goal. But really what you want is to become a runner. So Mm -hmm. if you like focus on the identity, and this is not my theory, this comes from James Clear book, Atomic Habits, and it's about identity-based habits. And it's like, okay, well, what what am I trying to achieve? I'm trying to achieve running a marathon, but why do I want to run a marathon? Well, it's because I want to be a runner or I want to be somebody who is an athlete or I want to be fit or I want if I know that running is my keystone habit. And if I start running more then all the other areas of my life get better. And that's the way to look at your outcome based goal and say, OK, like, well, what are the process? The process is to get there because you don't run a marathon by thinking you want to run a marathon. You run a marathon by showing up almost every single day in training and getting out of bed those mornings that you don't want to get out of bed. And by doing that, you start burning in a pathway of I'm somebody that doesn't miss workouts. I'm somebody that goes out when it's dark and cold and freezing when everybody else is lying in bed. I can do hard things. And then whenever you start building in and wearing in that pathway, 
this is also part of your brain and your neuroplasticity of I'm capable of doing this. Then you start realizing that you can do other things in your life too. And, and that starts building and building. And that's how you see these people who are, you know, these crazy accomplished people at work, but they're also these crazy athletes. And it's because they realize I am so much more capable than I ever thought because I started doing all these other things and proving to myself over and over that I'm capable of doing it. And then I enjoy the process of doing it. Mm-hmm. Now, I love that. Now, on that note, mindset itself is kind of a process goal in that, like, there isn't really, like, one final outcome, right? Like, you don't get to say, like, okay, I have mastered mindset. I am just done forever. <laughs> so someone who's listening to this that's hearing, like, this marathon example and is like, well, I already do the hard things. I already do my my daily runs. I'm already a runner or cyclist or whatever. How can they improve their mindset? Like, if they say, like, I'm already I'm already mentally tough. What's next? Yeah, I think this is such a great question. And it was something that didn't really occur to me as I was making this course. But like that people would actually think I'm mentally tough enough. I'm good. And training your brain like mental skills training is the same as training your body. You wouldn't just like train for a cycling race and then just say, OK, I, I've trained enough. I've ridden my bike enough miles and hours. Now I'm done. Now I'm just going to stop. The same happens for your brain because we, again, we don't live in a vacuum. So you're going to have all these different inputs and, and all these different messages coming into your brain telling you, you know, you're good enough. You're not good enough. Or like, don't, so I was doing like just all these different things that you could be working on. So the mental skills is the mental reps. And this, it's similar to meditation and like a mindfulness practice is part of mental skills training because being aware of what you're thinking and the insight you can gain from that is a huge part of how to actually train. Because if you don't know what you're saying to yourself when things get hard and your brain is just like off on this this tangent t- telling you all these things, then you might not be able to like work on it. So like a meditation, like this is something that I had to learn myself when it comes to meditation. It's like, oh, I meditated for lots of years and I thought, well, I, I know how meditation works. I can apply it in my life. I can see myself doing it like, you know, in, in real life. I'm good. And then I realized, wait a second, like there's monks out there who can meditate for like, I don't know, however many days in a row. And they're still part of, it's still their practice. And, and that was another one of those, those thoughts about mastery of like, oh, this is, there's never an end point And there's always another level to keep working on. So like, it's the same with meditation. So like mental skills, you want to be working on, you know, how to be more resilient, like how not to quit whenever things get really hard or you know, whenever you start thinking like, I just want to be at the finish line, it's mile 70 out of this hundred mile race. And I just want to be done. Well, that that's like an example of a mental skill that you can work on because now you're wishing it away and you're just wishing for a future. You're not being present. So there's just so many different things, different, different elements that you can work on. And once you start realizing all the different things that are available to you, and that comes from that awareness, then you're like, Oh yeah, like in this area, I have, I have something to work on. But I think that something that's really difficult about mental skills is it requires humbleness because you have to be willing to look yourself in the mirror and take responsibility for the things that you're thinking and saying to yourself. And that can be really hard to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, as you were talking about that, it it just kind of occurred to me, first, I was going to be like, mental skills, it's sort of like doing bicep curls, but for your brain. And then I was like, no, it's not just that. Like, there's the people who are saying like, oh, I'm already mentally tough. Like they've figured out the bicep curls for their brain, but they maybe haven't figured out like the planks or like the yoga moves for their brain or like all of the other fitness elements that go into having the strong brain. So 
It's like how you can't just do one single exercise with one muscle and like call it good on your body. Then you're just going to end up with like a giant right bicep. Yeah, it's such a great metaphor, and I'm going to steal that. <laughs> really creepy metaphor. <laughs> just one giant bicep. Um, yeah, so so we want to have nice balanced bodies, nice balanced brains. <laughs> now that I've yeah. killed that metaphor. Um, okay, so the other thing that you talk about a lot in the course is setbacks, which, I mean, it's 2021. We've had a year of setbacks at this point. Um, I don't think there's anyone listening that would say they haven't had a single setback or a single thing that like didn't go like something did not go according to plan in the last year. I would love if you could talk through an example. Actually, I want you to talk through like two examples, one from like racing and coming back from a setback for you. And then one more on like the life side of things. It could still be sport related, but like less racy. Racy, non racy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love it. So I'll use the easiest example for racy, and that's an injury. A lot of us have had injuries. Uh, I have so many different examples. I'm kind of like, where do I even start? Like, <laughs> I I started trail running, and you know, I stole your coach, David Roach, because he's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I started, so we, we can talk more about that later. But I like fell down horrifically a couple weeks ago, and that was really hard. <laughs> like, I'm still recovering. I still bruised everywhere, but like mountain biking, I've like broken bones and actually my worst injuries have come from like stupid stuff. So the last like major bone break I had was when my dog was a puppy a couple years ago and I was walking outside in those like dance go clogs. I was like carrying him out to the, po- the place in the backyard where I was trying to train him to go poop. And I somehow like tripped on the clog, like I don't know why I kept wearing them because I just kept tripping on them. But I'm like, they're so comfortable until I hurt my ankle. But I rolled it so badly. It was kind of icy out. And I rolled it so badly that I sprained my ankle and I broke my foot. And that was gnarly. Yeah. And so like, I couldn't, like, I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. I I guess I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but I'm trying to come up with a better example. Okay. So you break your wrist. You can't ride your bike. You broke it on a technical section. And now you come back to that technical section and you're afraid of it. Or maybe you're afraid of mountain biking or you're afraid of all technical riding. And you're like, oh, my gosh, like I had this setback. This means that I shouldn't be a mountain biker anymore. Or like this is way too dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I think step one is realizing that everybody gets injured doing something. It could be walking outside with your dog in your clogs. It could be out mountain biking. And just because you had an injury doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing something. Mm-hmm. Just because I fell down trail running doesn't mean that I shouldn't be doing it. And as I was sitting on the side of the trail, like, just, I'm like, it's going to take me a minute to get back up from this. I thought to myself, this doesn't mean that I shouldn't be a runner. This is part of the process. This is what it takes to get better at this. This is the cost. And I mean, certainly you don't want to be like riding off cliffs on your bike or like doing things that you shouldn't be doing, you know, that are far outside your skill level, but understanding that setbacks are the path. A lot of times people think, oh, the setback is like, I'm off the path, but no, like, the setback is something that's needed in order to improve. So being able to view challenges and setbacks and issues, not as like affirming that you're not good enough or affirming you shouldn't be doing it or affirming that you suck at this. It's like, no, no, like this is my opportunity to grow from this. And it sounds cliche, but this is so proven (laughs) in a lot of the psychological research. And if you listen to any high performer, they will say that, They had to learn this as a skill. They had to learn that 
there's different ways to look at things that happen. And it doesn't mean that you enjoy it while it's happening. No, like it sucks to get hurt. It sucks to have something go wrong whenever you've been going all in on something. But it's what happens next that builds resilience. It's what happens next that makes you realize like, okay, like if this happens, something like this happens again. Well, think of that other time where I had that other thing happen and I was able to get through that. So now I'm stronger because of it. And sometimes it takes a little bit of hindsight, you know, the first couple of times that something happens. And that's what it is to have a growth mindset. Um, that, that's part of the elements. And a growth mindset is like somebody that believes that their talent and their ability is not fixed. So somebody with a growth mindset can look at something that happened to them and say, okay, like this isn't proof that I shouldn't be doing this. Like I just mentioned, this is just a, such a great opportunity. So that's one example in sport. In life, I feel like sport and life are so intertwined. I'm kind of struggling to think of one. Let's see a setback in life. Well, okay, the pandemic. I'll, I'll use a great setback. Can't get baby care. My husband and I said we don't want to have kids unless we can have like childcare or a nanny or babysitting so that we can both be ourselves in our career. And Bradley's 11 months old and we still, you know, it's been our choice. There's many people that have gotten childcare for their kids. It's just our comfort level. You know, we might be a little bit more conservative with that. So that, that has been a setback in my career. I haven't been able to do the things that I wanted to do this year. And I haven't been able to train like I've wanted to train this year. So like the entire balance of my life is not what I had planned for. And that is a setback. Mm -hmm. But the opportunity in that setback and something I thank my stars for every day is like, well, I didn't know what I would have been missing. Like I get to spend all this extra time with my son and see him and, and I wouldn't have gotten that. And same for Matt, because he takes two hours off of work every day so that I can have some of my own time to work or train or whatever. And Matt says, well, if if COVID hadn't happened, if we could, if we decided, you know, to have had like childcare, I would only see Bradley for like 30 minutes after I got home from work. So this is so awesome. So there's, there's a side to everything. And again, I, I want to emphasize and make sure that people realize it's not about like pretending that bad things aren't there or pretending that disappointment or frustration aren't there, but it's like understanding that they're there, but there's also other things there too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think going back to the like injury, I've been really trying to focus anytime I've had like a, an injury or like a weird thing where I couldn't train, like trying to use it as like almost gratitude for when I can train. Like, I think that's the way I, yes. I end up using them as opportunities. Cause it's like, if I was just like uninjured, like no problems for the past 10 years, I feel like I wouldn't appreciate the ability to train the same way I appreciate it now where I'm like, Oh, I know what it feels like to not get to do the thing. So when you get back to it, it feels a lot better. <laughs> yeah, like one of my favorite mantras is the work is the reward. And I've been trying to share that more and more because it can be daunting to have to work hard. And I think that our society is generally hard work averse because you hear people say, well, that, that sounds really cool, but it sounds like a lot of work. Like the work is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But being able to do work, like, when I was pregnant, I couldn't do like, I couldn't do the hard intervals that I can do now. And I'm so thankful whenever I can do them. Or like you said, if you're injured and you can't go out, like you're so fortunate to be able to do that. And it's, it's hard to like, sometimes we lose that perspective that the work is the reward because the work can become monotonous or the work can feel hard. But once that gets taken away from you, it makes you appreciate it more. And it, it's hard to have that perspective without it getting taken away. And like our health is another really obvious example. Like 
I know I don't get sick very often, but when I do, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just really miss being healthy. I really miss having my energy. And like, it's just, it's just hard to actually practice that. But just remembering that, you know, that is part of the hard work is the reward because you actually get to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of this comes into the other thing you talk about a lot in the course, which is self-talk. Quickly, because I know we could take hours to talk about self-talk, but um, how can we be nicer to ourselves? <laughs> that's, that's my question yes. at all times. <laughs> yeah, so self-compassion. And if people are listening and they're like, gosh, like my skin crawls when you say self-compassion, it sounds like some whatever. But you know what? That's important. So many people are familiar with the first type of self-compassion. And it's like, well, what would you say to a friend? You'd never say that to a friend. Like if you're like, I'm, you know, whatever you're saying to yourself, that's not very nice. But some people can't really do that. They understand objectively that I would never say that to a friend, but I can't stop saying that to myself. And I think that goes back to viewing how we view challenges and difficulties and learning and saying that this is what it takes to get better. Like, if I make a mistake, it doesn't mean I'm an idiot. It doesn't mean I suck. And that might be what you say initially, like, gosh, I suck. And, and, and you're never going to actually stop saying all those things to yourself, because that's part of being a human being. Yeah. But like, I'll give an example. It's like, okay, I've written this technical section tons and tons of times. And now for whatever reason, I just am not doing it. And it's been a year and I'm still not doing it. And this is, this is a real example. So I could say to myself, like, gosh, I, I've lost it. I suck why can't I do it? Just ride it. You like, you know, all these things, or I could just say, I just need a little bit of a break right now. I've done this in the past and I'm going to be able to in the future and just being able to have a different script and a different perspective. And you might need to do some journaling in order to get that out so that if you find yourself, you know, just being so hard on yourself, you can go back to that script and you can read it and you have to keep practicing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another way to practice more self-compassion is actually confiding in somebody that really has more of an objective view because we like I said we are especially people that like achieving things are so incredibly hard on ourselves and having another perspective of saying like no like this might be what it looks like to you right now but this is really what it probably looks like in real life and then a third way is just practicing a self-compassion meditation and there's different ways to do this but it could be just as simple as having something as saying like may I be well Like if you start saying something mean about yourself, just having this, like you could practice this in the meditation and then take it into real life. Like, oh, I'm not being as articulate now as I want to. And I'm rambling. You know, that's a thought in my head right now. And it's like, you could have your, may I be well, or like, it's okay. And judgment is also just such a big thing. Like being critical of yourself is you judging yourself. So being able to realize that you're judging before it takes off onto this crazy tangent and just labeling it as judging. So so like you could practice this in a mindfulness practice where like you're sitting there and you're thinking all these thoughts and you're just like, I suck at meditation. I hate meditation. And it's like judging. You just label it judging and then go back to neutral. And then it comes in again. And then you just say judging. So that could be another thing that you could implement. If you're being hard on yourself, you could just be like judging. And it kind of defangs that thought. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. All of this is making me kind of start questioning my own self-talk because at first I like I was just like oh yeah like totally I'm I'm really good at like doing this and and saying nice things to myself and then I realized like I'm actually kind of like sneaky about it where I have this like surface level of like the quick reframe to something more positive but there is like this like second like deeper level of this negative self-talk that's 
much more insidious and it's kind of hidden under the the like me reframing it like for my my front brain I guess I don't know if I'm like making yeah. any sense as I say that um but oh, I've, totally I've noticed sense. it more and more lately and I think maybe it's actually because I've been meditating more regularly lately so I can actually hear myself think better so I feel like even when we're talking about self-talk a lot of people probably don't actually even know what they're saying to themselves a lot of the time like, yeah you- and again like it's not this thing that you can just cure like yeah. you said, you've been practicing this. I've been practicing it for, for many, many years. And so have you. And it's it's a never-ending cycle because we're humans. Like we're going to judge. We're going to compare ourselves. Comparison's another way that you tend to have less self-compassion for yourself because oftentimes you're comparing yourself to people that are better than you at something in the moment. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I suck because so-and-so is better than me or so-and-so has better skin than me or so-and-so, like whatever. And the comparison part is so it's it's just it's human to compare, but man, like it makes things really hard. Yes. So with self-compassion, how do we how do we reconcile self-compassion with the desire for self-improvement? Because I feel like that's where I always start falling off where I'm like, oh, if I accept myself, but wait, no, I have to go do I need to achieve these things. So how do we reconcile like wanting to achieve things with being compassionate to ourselves? You know, I the, love this question. And the, it's, the it's, easy it's something I, <laughs> it, It's such a great question. And I think it's a really relevant question. And this also is like falls in line with the word equanimity, which is like, you know, not letting emotions be too crazy and just being cool, with whatever comes your way. But I think that you need to have self-acceptance and self-compassion in order to get to the next level in an achievement. I think that you can still want things for yourself. But it's the, going back to the process of like, what is your process like on the way there? Are you going to be like being nice to yourself and kind of, you know, cheering yourself on as you go and as you make mistakes and as you, you know, try to dream a little bit bigger? Or are you going to be tearing yourself down and using negative energy to propel yourself forward? And yeah, it, it's a difficult question to say, like, can I accept myself and still want to achieve things? And I I asked that question. I don't know the answer to that if I'm being completely honest, but how I reconcile that is, yeah, like if I'm trying to to dream bigger or to do more, it's how I how I go about that process. And it's it's interesting because a lot of us will have a dream. We'll say something out loud like, "Oh, it'd be really cool to, you know, launch an online course or, you know, have actually people sign up for my online course that I launched." And a lot of times we'll think like, oh, that's so stupid. Like I shouldn't, who am I to have the audacity to think that I can dream that? Or like a lot of people are starting their own podcasts in the last year. And it's like, well, like who am I to start a podcast? Who, who cares what I have to say? Like that's not a way of having self-compassion. And it's like, well, if I just change one person's life, that matters. And the process of um, getting started and getting better at something like, I think that that is the key to starting anything. And I, I tweeted something last night. It was like, it takes courage to start something new because you're going to suck at it at first. It takes courage to suck at something and then know that you're going to get better. And that comment came from running because I've been sucking lately at running, <laughs> man. And I, and I was like, you know what? And it's, it's been so fun and so awesome to try to like, like I was a runner before and I'm just not doing like as well as I used to. And it's like, this is such a great opportunity whenever I have those thoughts of like, I suck, I'm not, I hate this, like maybe I should just quit to being like, no, 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 like this is part of the process. This is awesome that I feel this way 
because this is what you have to do to, to start something new and get better at it. And, and this is going to strengthen that muscle whenever I want to start something else new and suck at it. Yep. That's been me with cross country skiing lately. So I completely understand that. <laughs> I just keep telling yeah, myself. Yeah. So have the courage to suck at something. Yeah. And like, honestly with sport, the more you suck at it, the better a workout it is usually. It's what I tell myself anyway. <laughs> yeah, adapting. <laughs> exactly. It's part of the adaptation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And okay, so <laughs> self-compassion is sort of your your first step, and then comes sort of that self-belief and self-confidence that sort of grows out of self-compassion. So how do we how do we go from having self-compassion? We've totally nailed self-compassion. We're super compassionate to ourselves. How do we turn that into self-confidence? <laughs> yes. So it's interesting because. You can't just say I'm confident and just be confident. Like there are those people who are delusional with their confidence. And those people tend to be like on the psychopath side of things. And I'm not a psychologist. So, you know, don't take me. (laughs) But, you know, in order to have confidence, you have to have credible self-talk. So like the things that you say to yourself actually have to be true. And how do you start building that? Like you have to look at small little things that you've done well. And that's where you start building, oh, I, I, I can actually do this. And you can do this with daily uh, confidence journaling. Like just write down every single day what your daily win was. And it doesn't have to be something big. You'd be like, I was able to hold 90 cadence for 30 seconds today. And then like maybe the next day, it's like I was able to hold a cadence of 90 for two minutes. And like, I'm just saying cadence because when I ride the trainer, my cadence is I, I have a low cadence and whatever. But I don't believe in over 70 just, RPMs just yeah (laughs) grinder forever grinding forever but like (laughs) the confidence piece is something that also isn't something that you just have like it's something that you have to look back at the things that you've done and then start building on those so like when i started cycling i had run a marathon and i said well i feel like i can start mountain biking or sign up for a mountain bike race because i've done a marathon that makes me feel confident so trying to like look back in your life and say, what are some things that I've done that are that I'm proud of? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what the final like final sounds like such a serious word. But like the something that's really important whenever you show up to a starting line or a job or whatever, your intention should be to put out effort that you're proud of. And that is a very process focused way of approaching life, because if you say, well, I'm not going to be proud unless I win. Well, now there's all these things out of your control and you can control like how you show up. So looking back in your life and saying, what are things I'm proud of? What are things that I've done? And then starting to remember those things because I've lost my confidence lots of different times and I have to go back and say, what are, where were those things that made me feel like I could do more or that I was proud of because I put in the effort every single day and I got to where I wanted to be. And that is the skill that you have to keep building. And (laughs) you have to be working on it every single day with looking at that daily win, looking at the things that went well and the things that didn't go well. Like, how are you going to talk about those things to yourself that didn't go well? Like, and that goes back to the self-compassion and the growth mindset. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. Okay. Or where do you fall on the fake it till you make it school of confidence? I feel like that's like, it's like around the edges of what you're saying, but it's not, it's, it's fake it kind of until you make it. It sounds like. Yeah, you know, I think this is a really interesting question because you hear a lot of really different talk around this. Like some yeah. people are all about faking it till you make it. They're like, yes, yeah, like you just start doing. 
And then you just pretend that you're this and, and then you'll actually get there. And then other people are like, well, no, like, cause then you're going to have uncredible self-talk cause you're saying like, I'm this and you're not. I'll give an example. I wanted to be a speaker. So I put a speaking tab on my website and it's like, boom, now I'm a speaker. And then somebody like booked me to speak. I'm like, oh gosh, like I, okay. But if you're doing the work, you're not faking it. And the label part is the interesting thing is like, well, if I'm going to call myself a speaker, what does that mean? Am I faking it? Cause I'm calling myself a speaker. But so I, I think that doing the work is what makes you not fake it. If you say I'm a speaker, you don't do any work. You don't try to learn how to be one. And you just like show up and you're like, I'm here. I'm awesome. That's not going to be very good. Whereas if you're like, I'm a speaker, I'm going to be practicing every single day so that I can be a speaker. And I think that we're kind of touching on imposter syndrome a little bit mm-hmm. because you could be a speaker. You could have done tons of different things and you could still feel like you're faking it or still feel like you're not a real speaker or like you could be a pro writer and still for years and still feel like you're not a real pro. So it's about like those daily actions and those daily habits that help you build your identity. And I think that that's where the faking it part goes away because you start saying, no, no, like this is my identity. And like the athlete part, like, you know, people that are afraid to call themselves an athlete because they haven't achieved something or they don't race or whatever. It's like, no, like you're not faking being an athlete. If you show up every, every day or even on the weekend and just exercise, you're still an athlete. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to those daily, those daily or weekly or those things that you're doing to start carving that groove to prove to yourself who you are every single time you go out. I love it. Okay. That's all amazing. And I feel like anyone who's listening to this and is at all curious about how to kind of make all of these things become reality needs to check out the Mindset Academy. So can you give us just the quick like nitty gritty, where can people find the course? How many modules is it? What's it look like? Break it down. Yeah. So you can find it in a couple places. If you go to sanyaluni.com or moxieandgrit.com, M-O-X-Y and grit.com, you'll see a page for Mindset Academy. It's also in the in my bio on my Instagram. So you just click on there, but it's four modules and 22 video lessons. And it's broken up into three to five minute videos because a lot of people might be thinking, oh, I'm really interested in learning more about like how I can optimize my mental skills, but I don't have time for that. So I broke it down into really small digestible chunks so you can do a little bit at a time. And the first module is about goal setting and habits. The second is about motivation and mindset. The third is about self-talk and optimism. And the fourth is about race day confidence. And I even talk about, like I have examples of things that people get nervous about. I pulled my audience and said, write in all the things that you get nervous about and we're gonna break those things down under the race day confidence section. And then you get a workbook, a digital workbook on top of that. Awesome. And I mean, it's worth pointing out like race day confidence is the same thing as like big presentation at work confidence, like boardroom (laughs) confidence, like public speaking confidence. Like it's going to help with every area, not just like the race day. Um, Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you, Sonia. This is awesome. I'm really excited to check this out. And I'm very excited that you're still trail running because we still have our like let's call it like 2022 big goal. I like it. Yes. (laughs) Well, I'm working on uh, falling down. I learned that I I'm actually good at falling down running because I, it was like, it was like a slow motion thing where I was like, Oh crap, this is going to be bad. And then I thought roll like you do on your bike. And I like rolled on my shoulder. Yeah, it was good. But yeah, it's been awesome. Like this is kind of a side note for people. If you're feeling burned out from your sport, like I was feeling really burned out 
from cycling. Like I've been doing it for 17 years, basically six days a week. And I'm just like, ah, so getting a running coach and now like I'm still riding my bike and training so that bike racing is still my number one priority, but taking a few days away from the bike made me really enjoy riding my bike again. So if you're feeling burned out with your sport or something, try just doing something different. And it also takes courage to do something different, not because you might suck at it, but because you're like, well, I've been putting all my effort into this other thing. And what if I take my foot off the gas a little bit? What's going to happen? Yeah. Um, that's been really, really helpful for me to get my motivation back for riding my bike. Oh, I love it. Awesome. Thank you, Sonia. This was super fun as always. I'm sure we'll be doing it again in the, the near future. <laughs> Hopefully the consummate athlete crew doesn't get sick of hearing from me. I love you guys. They will not. <laughs> awesome. And they, they and we love you. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I really enjoyed being a guest on the consummate athlete. And as Molly said, I'm a frequent guest. Molly has also been a frequent guest on this podcast with her book, Shred Girls, her book, The Consummate Athlete, her book, How to Get Sponsored, and I think even a few more episodes. She is such a machine and I respect and look up to her in so many ways. You guys are awesome. You got this. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day.